I just have tricks. I have some tricks that that I use to to stay focused. First off, I don't take positions that don't play into my strengths, that play into my weaknesses. And I think that's part of recovery. That's part of humility is being honest with myself about myself, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and, and leaning into that. You know, I'm going to accentuate the positive. So that's part of it. A member of the DATC media family. Welcome to the Much Obliged Podcast, a Yellow Balloon Experience, where we talk to and explore the world of the live music fan base who have chosen to live drug and alcohol free. Each week, we will have a new guest and have a short interview with them and lead right into their speaker meeting that they share on our Friday night speaker meetings. New episodes drop every Monday at datcmedia.com. Make sure to check us out on Facebook and our Facebook group called Much Obliged. And come on over to Instagram where you can find us at at Junkie, J-A-H-J-U-N-K-I-E. Now on with the show. Then truth be told if you are wearing it, that promises no killing Hey everybody, this is Benji with the Much Obliged Podcast, the Yellow Balloon Experience, and I'm here with our co-host tonight. Our co-host tonight, what are we, fucking primetime television? What is this crap? (laughs) (laughs) I'm here today with Matt and Lauren, and our guest today is Dan N. Hey, hey Dan, hey Lauren, hey Benji, how are you guys doing? Hey, hey guys. So Dan, tell us how you and Benji met. Well, we met at a summer camp music festival. I've been co-hosting for Camp Traction there for the last three years. And uh, so the last two years at the Much Obliged table as well. Got to be a part of that. I like to say that every day that I get to see Dan is a good day because I've only seen Dan on good days, so. I'm, right. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, Dan, one of the funny things after your share, you and I were texting as as we do occasionally, and you said that you you talked all about recovery, but you didn't really talk about your yellow balloon experience. Okay. Well, I had known about the wharf rats. I used to follow the dead around while Jerry was still alive. And I'd known about the wharf rats because one of my friend's sisters got sober and was a wharf rat. So I'd heard about it. The most I'd ever heard about them, though, I was like in this room. Uh, I'd, I'd spent 10 bucks on floor space at, you know, with a whole bunch of hippies I didn't know at the Memphis show. And one guy was like saying, was all pissed off the next morning. He was like, man, the fucking wharf rats, man. Some I was like, yesterday I was knotted out so good. And like I come to and this wharf rat is like giving me CPR. And then the medic showed up and took me. And I'm like sitting here thinking and he's all pissed off because they screwed up his nod, you know. And I'm like, man, it sounds like dude might have saved your life, man. (laughs) But uh, he wasn't having it. (laughs) So I never really thought about it after that. When I got clean, I got clean in 2004. And I love going to live music, but I didn't feel like that I could go to the bands that I really liked, to jam bands and that sort of thing. So I started just going to like really hardcore metal shows or punk shows and uh, where I would just go slam into people and, and but not have anything to do with them after the show. <laughs> you know, I would go with a few of my friends in recovery and I had a lot of friends that were into that. But uh Somebody that I, most people in the Yellow Balloon community know, Matt Cornfield, was living in Arkansas for a while. And he was a speaker at uh, one of my uh, areas uh, uh, of Narcotics Anonymous campouts. And of course, you know, he's talking about being a deadhead. So he and I hit it off real quick. And I was just like, man, you know, that's the music I love. But I just haven't been able. And he was like, well, you should. 
connect with the wharf rats. And so I connected with the wharf rats. I wanted up going to a further show in 2011. So I got clean in 2004 and I didn't feel comfortable going to the kind of music that I really like until 2011. And uh, I made my first wharf rat table. And after that, it was phases of the moon. Uh, the one time that they actually had the festival, it was on my birthday. It was at my 10th year clean. And I went and Bobby and, uh, um, oh, I forgot the other guy's name, but they were hosting it and it was awesome. I had a, such a great experience with it. And after that, I just I started going to shows when I had the opportunity making all the yellow balloon tables that I could and eventually started being of service when I was able. My first table that I hosted was the Gateway at a, a widespread show in, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And it's just been since then I got connected with the summer camp, needed a host. And after that, it was just like, man, I love doing this. I love being of service. And I love it so much because, man, if I would have known that I could continue to do that, man, not thinking that that could be part of my life was one of the things that held me back from getting clean because that was one of the main things that I felt like I was going to have to sacrifice live music, music events that I really liked, the communities that I really liked, the people I really liked. I thought that I would have to sacrifice that. And so I love being of service this way because Maybe somebody else finds out that, that they don't have to keep on going down a hard road when they can do something different and still keep some things in their life that they care about. Yeah. First of all, thank you for sharing that. It's incredible to hear like week after week as we do these interviews and talk to people in the Yellow Balloon community, how many people have said, I didn't know that I could do this sober and either it kept me from getting sober or after I got sober, I didn't go see the music that I love singing. You did both, right? <laughs> You're a double winner. Um, you know, but it's incredible to me how prevalent the yellow balloon communities are in our music scene. And yet how few people know about it who need that help. And so hopefully this podcast helps spread that message a little bit and people who are struggling can either find the help that they need, or if they're getting the help can come back to see the music because there is that support for those of us who need it. You know, and, and the camp traction language is perfect. It says we're providing traction in an otherwise slippery environment. And like, that's, I love that sentence. I'm a gripper. Baby. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had such a cool experience at Camp Traction one time there. You know, one of my main jobs there is to make sure that it's just sober people that are moving into the camp, you know. So it, it's like my first meeting, I'm like the oldest person there in the camp and uh, was really kind of feeling my age. And I like all of a sudden realized that my job is telling these damn kids to get off my damn yard. You know, so, uh, but I was, I, there were some guys that had like pulled up and were trying to set up camp and obviously they weren't sober. I mean, they had beers and, and were obviously pretty lit. And I came over and was like, Hey, this is sober camp. And a couple of them started to kind of get, well, we're already here. So we're just going to go ahead and set up. And then one of the guys was like, no. No, guys, we got to move off of here. And he comes back to me and he's like, look, I was connected with the yellow balloons. He's like, I'm not right now. I'm using, but I hope I find my way back to this one day. And time and time again, a lot of times the first response is, what? You're doing what? And then it's kind of like, man, you know, cool. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to just keep rapid firing you questions if nobody else wants to ask you questions. But in your story, you talked about using Ritalin as a kid and then your parents taking you off it and being an adult now. And that's another theme that we hear a lot in the speaker shares, in this meeting, in this podcast. Being an adult sucks sometimes, right? <laughs> and being an adult with ADHD fucking sucks sometimes. How do you 
approach that in a clear-headed way, knowing that you're not medicating? Tell me how you're doing that. Well, I rely a lot on getting into routines where things, uh, first off, I don't take positions that don't play into my strengths, that, that play into my weaknesses. I've been offered some career changes that I know would not work well with me. And I think that's part of recovery. That's part of humility is being honest with myself about myself, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, and, and leaning into that. You know, I'm going to accentuate the positive. So that's part of it. I just have tricks. I have some tricks that that I use to to stay focused. It's mellowed some with age as well, just to be honest. Uh, you know, it's uh, got all these kids around me and they kind of vampire it out of me as well. So that's pretty good. That's one of the things I took from your share the other night, Dan, was, was that expressly the ADHD Traveling through childhood, early adulthood into adulthood and being medicated at times and not being medicated at other times. And your answer just then was perfect and thriving in routine and just knowing your limits because I've had the similar opportunities where jobs have presented themselves and I've just been, you know, the wherewithal to say, you know what, that's a great idea, but it's a terrible idea and it's not going to work. And I would have to just remove myself from that position. And that's, it's good to hear someone else say that because it's not often something I can verbalize. And thank you. This conversation and the conversation that we had with Dave that was released this past Monday, you know, where we're talking about more than just not drinking and not doing drugs and going to show sober, but like taking care of our mental health and taking care of ourselves, like as complete humans. I didn't expect us to be doing this or talking about this or having these conversations. And I'm glad that we are. I, I texted Lauren and, and Matt earlier and said that, you know, we officially got our first person coming to our nightly Zoom meeting who found us through the podcast and then connected with us on Instagram and then said, Hey, can I get that Zoom in for like the, the progression into participating and it was like holy shit that is fucking cool you know and i'm grateful for that it's as if it it moved backwards from the usual progression right right (laughs) wait is that how dan wound up on the podcast no so dan celebrated 19 years a week after i celebrated 19 years and i was like i fucking forgot that we were like almost birthday brothers and i was like we got to get you like asap and we had a slot and that was perfect. But that woman who was in the Zoom meeting tonight, that was her first Zoom meeting. So she heard the podcast, then connected with me on Jod Junkie Instagram, and then found out about the, the Zoom meeting and joined the Zoom meeting tonight. So very cool. Yeah, I love that. So Dan, do you have any upcoming shows you're going to or any yellow balloon stuff that you're looking forward to in the next few months? I do have upcoming shows. It's been a while. I don't do it as much as I like to, but this has been even longer than usual. <laughs> so I'm kind of hungry for it. But yeah, I'm going to do Mempho Fest, uh, Joe Russo, Black Crows, Ween. Never seen my morning jacket live. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. I've never been really able to get into their music when I listened to it, but I was the same way with Wilco. And then I saw them live and was like, okay, I like that pretty good. So I'm hoping for a similar experience. Mempho always kind of puts on a good show and they always have sober Mempho there. So they don't have like specifically a yellow balloon, uh, but they do, you know, it's like they do it for like all the bands and it's just sober Mempho. And so they'll have a tent there. So yeah, so looking forward to that. Yeah. My morning jackets, I wasn't really into them. And then I saw them in person and they're incredible. I'm sure you'll enjoy. Yeah, I love getting new stuff. Mm -hmm. The only my morning jacket that I know is their cover of Oh Sweet Nothing, which I absolutely love, but I've never really listened to their other music. Go listen to the song Golden. It's really good. All right. Well, I think it's time to wrap it up and let people get to the share. So with that, we always close by saying on with the show. On with the show. On with the show.
Dan M is joining us tonight. And thank you, Dan, for being here. We really appreciate it. Um, it's a good way to spend our Friday night, and I'm glad you're here to share yours with us. We have a longstanding tradition. On the count of three, we ask everybody to unmute and tell Dan how awesome he is and how happy we are to have him here tonight and how much we love them. So on the count of three, one, two, three. Dan. Thank you so much for being here. All right. Now, that being said, Dan, take it away. All right. Well, hey, I'm an, I'm Dan, and I'm an addict. So, hey, I, tonight I'm a jug junkie, and I've been, if I'm in a Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, I'm an alcoholic, and if I'm, I've been a jellyfish and, and a dusty baggy and a wharf rat a lot, and, you know, and a fell and a this and a that, but I have to introduce myself as an addict because I work a program of uh, a 12 step program of Narcotics Anonymous. That's how I got clean and that's how I stay clean. So this is how crazy I am. All right. So I've been stressing on this. This is the first time I've done any I've done a yellow balloon speaker meeting. (laughs) So I've been in my head about it a little bit. I woke up early this morning. At, you know, and, and couldn't go back to sleep. And I'm like thinking about, you know, and I'm like, well, what, what are the shares like? And so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll check out some of the podcasts. And so I checked out last week's and David, Dave Yates, and, you know, I've, I've met him before. I know him from a show we were at together and we're friends on Facebook. And I'm like, this a professional fucking comedian, man. That's who I'm, that's who I'm following. You know, <laughs> so that gets me in my head a little more. And, and I was like, and it's been so long. It's been a while since I've told my story. And so I kind of went back to the last time I was thinking about it. And I was at this camp out and I didn't want to go. I was kind of going through a depressive episode and mental health issues are a part of my story and was kind of going and had been really kind of detached from the groups. Uh, I, I still would make my home group, but just, you know, kind of was isolating. Didn't really want to be there. My wife wanted to be there. And one of the speakers that called and was not going to make it. And so they asked me kind of on the spot, would you speak? And I'm like, I'm mighty. I don't even want to be here, you know? And, and I just, I kind of let go and shared and, and I, and it, it just, you know, I didn't have time to think about it. I just like, and I started just sharing really honestly and from the heart and, and, and it was powerful, you know, it was powerful for me and I, and I can tell I had that connection. And so I was thinking about that this morning and I'm like, man, that's who I'm talking to. I'm talking to addicts. I'm talking to alcoholics. I'm talking to people who are in recovery. So I know you guys, even though I, I don't know most of you personally, I know you guys. And so, and that's when I kind of got, I was like, man, as long as you've got a story, it's your story. If you tell the truth and you share honestly, you know, that's what you do here. That's what we do. And and so that kind of helped me get out of my head a little bit and then getting here a little early and, and talk and help some too. But, you know, I'm still, I'm still pretty crazy about that kind of stuff. So let me just kind of, launch into it. My name's Dan. I'm an addict. My clean date is 9-9 of 2004. So last Saturday, I celebrated 19 years. And man, that's, that's just, that still blows my mind to think about because it's just like that. So much has happened. I was, I was born and raised in Arkansas. I've been here most of my life. I lived in Northern California for a little while, a brief time. And I lived in Boulder, Colorado for a while, but no more than a year either place. And other than that, I've pretty much been in Arkansas, except when I was on the road following bands and, you know, and then I lived everywhere. I would, I, my dad, my mom and dad, I, I came from a, 
good, stable family. They're, you know, they're, they were Southern Baptist, <laughs> so Arkansas. And so I'm going to, and that's another thing, you know, my, my story, you know, spirituality is such a huge part of this for me. And, and, and so my experience, anything that I share is my experience. And if I have a different viewpoint than other people, it's one thing that I've learned about spirituality is that my perceptions of it change radically. So, so I'm not here to, to say this way is bad or that way is bad or this way is best or that way is good. Uh, Man, I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still seeking that, but I've always kind of been a spiritual seeker. Um, I was raised in a in a very religious home. Had to go to or went to church all the time when it was open Wednesdays too. And and I never saw my my dad. My dad is would say that he's an alcoholic, but I never saw him drink. He had stopped drinking long before they had me. And he, and, and so when he would talk about it, he would, he would be like, so I was, ha-, he would tell these things and things got bad. I was in the Marines and we, you know, I remember being stranded in this, town overseas where I didn't speak the language and wake up naked and robbed and stuff like that. But, you know, then I met your mom and we started going to church and I just decided I didn't want to drink anymore. So I never picked up again. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. You know, uh, I'm glad you could do that because, you know, so you had a goal and, and you had trouble and you had a goal and it's like, well, Hey, this doesn't play into my goal. So I'm going to stop. And it's like, when I had goals, I'm like, Hey, another goal that I could sacrifice to my addiction. So, uh, and so, so I, I didn't really, you know, throughout, throughout my, my life and throughout addiction, it's like my dad would just say, hey, you just, you need God and you need this. And it's like, okay, anyway, I think I was an addict before I ever used, I always obsessed on things. I remember when Saturday Night Live came out. So I'm like, eight years old, seven, eight years old. And, and of course, you know, my parents had heard of Saturday Night Live, you know, because it's the Satan now has a TV show on late night, you know, and so I'm like, hey, well, that's something I'm going to need to get with. And, and so I would, they would go to bed every night, they'd watch the news at 10. And by 1030, they're like falling out. And, and so I would sneak out of my room at like, you know, Saturday Night Live came on at 1030 and I'd sneak out of my room and, and sneak downstairs. And I had it all had it all together. We had a sliding glass door, you know, that I'd have it propped just right and I'd have the TV on. And if I heard them coming down the stairs, I would turn the TV off and change the quickie channel so that, you know, if they like saw it, they would, you know, it wasn't on the channel where Saturday Night Live was on. Then I'd sneak out the door. I'd have the basketball out by the hoop and I'd be out there, you know, sure. They'd be like, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I couldn't sleep. I came out to shoot a little basketball. I'm eight years old, like coming up with these elaborate schemes of getting away with stuff. So, yeah, you might be headed for this if you're doing that anyway i had i was i was a awkward awkward kid i had adhd really bad and like the hyperactive part of it i was really i was intelligent and did well on my schoolwork but i would be done with it i talked too much and and you know, they didn't really understand ADHD. My parents were educators, and but they didn't really understand ADHD. And I got paddlings every day, every single day, because they were punishing me for something that I couldn't stop. There was a brief time, I think I was around eight or so, 
that they Ritalin came out and they put me on Ritalin. And it was from what I hear, I don't remember, but it was a miracle drug that I was focused and well-behaved and happy and, and getting things done and performing at a much higher level, functioning at a better level. But then, and that lasted for a little while, all the teachers were happy with me. And, you know, I was doing better in sports because I was very awkward, but I, I could focus then and, and was doing better in sports. And then they started seeing news stories. My parents started seeing news stories about people abusing Ritalin. And so they took me off of it. And so I was basically back to where I was before, and I was never medicated for that again. Fast forward, so I was really awkward. I was really annoying, and but I learned I was really quick-witted and funny. So I learned that I learned that I could be a clown, and that you know when I was annoying people, I could make them laugh. And if I could make you laugh, and then you were kind of gonna like me. So I I became a clown pretty much in school. Kind of fast forward to to the seventh grade and I go into, you know, I'm going into junior high and stuff and and I started getting bullied really bad. I was I was super awkward. I was a wuss about things, you know, I was, you know, just really hyper. I just wanted people to like me. And there were some guys that were bullying me really hard to the point that I would get sick. I'd throw up every day before school and then I'm going to get paddlings all day because I can't act right and blah 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 you know and and so I was I was pretty sick about that and that was seventh grade eighth grade got a little bit better but not a lot in the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade there was this girl that liked me and she was kind of awkward like me and kind of, but she had a friend that was popular with the older guys, you know, because, because she was. <laughs> and so anyway, she, her friend got invited to a high school party that summer. I was 14 years old and I, I turned 15 in September. So at the beginning of school, pretty much. So it was the summer and I was 14 and we go to this high school party. And I wasn't really thinking about it. This girl invited me and I went and, and then I get there and here are all these guys that were bullying me, you know? And so I'm freaking out. I get there and I'm like, just trying to, maybe they won't notice that I'm like standing here around, you know, and they're going to, and they're like passing a joint around and they pass it over to me. And so I take it and I'm hitting it. And I don't think I even got high at that time. But all of a sudden, these guys are like, man, I didn't even know you were cool and slapping hands with me. And I'm accepted all of a sudden. And then this girl who brought me is like, hey, I need to talk to you. Come here. And. So the first time I ever got high, I got laid the first time. And that was the most exciting 10 seconds of my life at that point. So, you know, and and it, it's like in one of the guys who is like the girl that we came with and her boyfriend had left. And so one of the guys that used to bully me, like drove me home that night and it's like shaking hands with me. And he's like, oh, yeah, I can get weed anytime. So just holler at me. So. I got, you know, smoked my first joint, got laid the first time, got my first plug all the same night. And it was like, woo, you know, and, and I thought I'd found the magic elixir then, you know, I'm, I'm popular now. I've, I'm accepted. I found what, you know, I found it. So I dove right into that. And I, right away, I used differently than the people around me. Because I'll just say that was when I was 14 going into the eighth grade, turned fifth or going into the ninth grade. I turned 15 in the ninth grade. When I was in the 10th grade, 16 years old, I dropped out of school and started cooking meth. It's like within a year, I went from being a straight A student, testing like off the charts on all of these different standardized tests. And now I'm dropped out of school doing math at 16. 
And you know, you know from there. You know, it's up and down and, you know, and I'm thinking I'm Scarface of the Ozarks, you know, but really, I'm, I'm you know, monkey can't sell bananas. And, and so, you know, it's like I'm my best customer. And and I would I would have some times where I was successful and things would go OK and I would build something up and then. I would lose it. I would wreck it. I would wind up in in a psych ward or rehab or jail. And I'd get out of there. I'd get my shit back together, you know, get some things together, do some positive things. But I'd still be using my using would build, you know, and then it'd come to a head. I'd lose my shit. I'd wind up in a rehab or a psych ward or jail. Uh and I'd get my shit back together. You know, I, I had some successes over that time. I went to college. At, at, I went back. I, I wound up getting my GD. I went to college, dropped out of college. <laughs> I went back to college and I got into theater. I auditioned. Some of my friends were auditioning for a play. And, and so I went and auditioned for a play, too. And I wound up getting the lead role in it. And I was a natural at it because I've been acting all along, you know, <laughs> and, and I could do it high and I could do it loaded. And I, you know, and I love the attention and the rush of it. And, and so I wound up meeting my wife and her, my first wife. And we got together and I got on, I got a, wound up getting a scholarship for acting and, she was dancing at the strip club and I was DJing at the strip club and selling some weed and this and that and doing theater. And those were the good years. Those were the good years of my addiction. You know, it's like I was kind of a local celebrity for a little while. It was doing really well. We were making lots of money. Uh, I would, we were partying a lot. We were the party people, you know, and, and we had uh, all kinds of stuff going on at our house. And, and uh, you know, those were the everything I had ever wanted in addiction. You know, it's like I had a wife and we had a girlfriend and, and she had a girlfriend, you know, and it was like all of that stuff, you know. And But here's the thing. Um, the Rolling Stones, man, I love them. You know, it's a bunch of junkies talking about junky stuff, writing songs about junky stuff. And Mick said it best when he said, I can't get no satisfaction. And I try and I try and I try. And so no matter how good my life got, I wanted more. And if I didn't have some, I wanted just some. And if I got just some, I wanted some more. And if I had more than I could do, I wanted more of something else. And that was what it was. That's when I started realizing I had this hole. And, you know, my my first wife, it, we had a good relationship, you know, and, and she was a good person. But I wasn't. You know, I just, I, you know, I never was a, wanted to be a bad person, but I was going to get what I wanted. It was like, I've got a little brother. He has Down syndrome and he lives with, he lived with our dad and he had a job longer than I had ever had a job, you know, and he, he would put all his money in his drawer and he didn't know how much was in there. And so I didn't want to rob my little brother, you know. But if I didn't have some dope, I was going to have some dope. And I would tell myself, I'm going to put it back, you know. But I would always need some more dope before I had money to put it back. And so things like that just kept going. I wound up, our marriage started getting bad because I was lying. She, she, I was using too much. And, and we were the party couple. And when your party couple wife says, you're, you're using too much. I don't like you when you're on this, these drugs. 
like this. And so I started lying and I started using behind her back and uh, I started staying gone um, a long time. And so we were on the verge of breaking up and she got pregnant. She was on the pill and she got pregnant. And so uh, we wound up staying together because we're having a baby, but I wasn't ready to be a dad. And she was, she like, she got pregnant and was like, you know, she smoked a little weed while she was pregnant, but that was it. You know, it was like party was over and it was time to be an adult. And I'm like, party ain't over. And so I was really, I was not a, not a good guy. And I would leave and go, you know, hook up with somebody else and be gone for days. And, and then I'd come back and she'd be mad and I'd be like, you know, and I'd leave again. And it's just really bad. And it got down to, you know, she looked at me after, after she had our, had our son, she was like, it's either me or the drugs. And, and I chose the drugs and, and we got divorced and, you know, and my life was, went really spiraling after that because I knew, you know, it's like, I knew I was wrong. I eventually, I wound up getting to a point where I was really sick, where I was using, I was using some drugs that were making me really sick and I was having to use them to not be sick. And, and I wound up going to rehab. And that was the first time I was introduced to, to the 12 step programs. And, uh, I wound up getting clean. Oh, uh, my mom had been diagnosed with cancer. She was, so she, she had been diagnosed. She had been battling cancer for a few years. And I, and I don't remember a lot about it. And I realized not long ago, I don't remember a lot about it because I stayed gone and I tuned out from that shit because that wasn't shit I wanted to deal with. So, you know, anyway, she, I got clean for a little while and, and I was going to NA I'd been clean for about five months, was actually doing the best I had in forever. And, but I was kind of using, using NA as a social club, a social meeting and, and, you know, and not really working a program. And my mom died and, and I relapsed within that week. And I didn't relapse because of the pain or the, or the, because of the grief, I relapsed because of my lack of feelings. I like, I was like, I don't feel anything. My mom just died and I don't feel anything. I'm a piece of shit. And, and I used and, and I stayed high for eight years after that. And it got bad. I mean, it got bad, bad. So what my life turned into you know, is, you know, I'd use my dad for money to, you know, and he, my dad loved me. My dad was a good guy, but he, he like, you know, he was a sucker. I burned through some money and would stay with him and tear the walls out of his house looking for cameras. You know, he'd get them fixed. And I'd be like, I think that repairman was, was a cop. <laughs> and go tear them up again. You know, it, it was horrible. And I wound up, I knew I was about to get busted. And so I stole his vehicle. I stole his truck and went out of town, went on tour. I went to, that was headed for a fish show. And I called him from Missouri and I was like, dad, I've got your truck. I'm in Branson right now. I'll pull the truck over and leave it here, but I can't come back because I'm about to get busted. And he said, the truck is a small price to pay to have you gone. And he's like, just don't come back. Take the truck and don't come back. And I was like, cool, <laughs> you know, but that hit me somewhere. You know, because that was the last person I really had. And and my life became doing stuff that I hated myself for to get enough dope to forget about how bad I hated myself for a little while.
or alcohol or what, you know, whatever kind of dope I was using. It stopped being fun. I stopped having any kind of good time. Everything was hollow. Everything sucked. And all I could do was just numb out. I became suicidal. And that's how it would be. I would would always wind up paranoid, broke, suicidal, homeless. And I would needles hanging out my arm. And, and being, how did I get here? So one night I was like, man, I was trying to work up the nerve to kill myself. And I got this voice in my head just says, you need help. Just this, you need help. And I wound up going back and showing up at my dad's house. And he, when I, by the time I got there, he had been at work and he came home and was like, no, no, you go, you get out of here. I'm like, dad, I need help. I'm like, I want to go to rehab. He was like, really? And he's like, if you're serious about that, I'll help you go to rehab. And, and so I did, I wound up going to rehab and that was, that was on September the 8th of 2004. And I got there and it sucked. <laughs> it fucking sucked. You know, I'm like sitting here, um, you know, 38, I'm about to turn 39 in rehab. And I'm like, okay, I've lived the best of my life. But, you know, all I've got left is some pitiful middle-aged existence to grind through until I mercifully die someday. You know, and, and yeah, now my thoughts on that have changed. I'm, I'm about to be 59 and I think that I've maybe not lived the best day of my life yet. So I wound up sticking around. I wound up sticking around. I stuck around the rehab and, and these people started coming in. It was Narcotics Anonymous group would, would come in and I really identified with, with them and some of the stuff that they would say. And man, there was this one old biker dude, man. He was mean and he was like, and he was burnt, man. And you knew that he had been, I knew he had been as high as I had been. <laughs> you know? But he had a business and he had a nice vehicle out here and he had, you know, some stuff going on and he had, he had something I wanted, you know? And so I asked him to be my sponsor when I got out of, out of rehab and he's okay, I'll be your sponsor, man. But you know, you gotta have to do anything. You gotta work these damn steps and you gotta have to, what I want you to do, I want you to, uh, Make a meeting every day. I want you to pray and meditate. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't pray. You know, because I've rejected all of that. I was like, I don't pray. All right. I'll meditate or whatever. No, you're going to pray or else you can find somebody else to be your fucking sponsor. You know, he's like, I don't care what you do. You just say, please, in the morning, say thank you at night. And I don't care who you pray to. I was like, all right then. And so I started, I, I, I started taking these suggestions and I was like, so every morning I'd say, please keep me clean today. And I throw it up in the cosmos and, you know, not thinking anything is really there. And at night, if I stayed clean, I'd say, thank you for keeping me clean. I'd throw it up in the cosmos. And, you know, this went on for a while and I'm going to meetings and, and I'd been there and at first it was really cool. And, and, uh, you know, there were some hot chicks that went to meetings and, you know, and so I could, you know, get dates sometimes and, and that kind of stuff, you know, and so I'm up to the old tricks, you know, the first time that I'm in, he was going to, going to meetings. And, and then after a while, everybody's sharing and I'm like thinking, man, these are some assholes, <laughs> you know, there's a bunch of assholes in this room. One day I'm at work, I've got a buddy that I was working with. I had about four months clean and we were doing construction. We were doing this remodel. And so one day he leaves, you know, and he was my rehab buddy, you know, and, and we were staying clean. We would hang out, do everything together. And, and he leaves. He's like, I've got a, some supplies and he's gone all day. He leaves me at this house working and he winds up coming back later. And he's high as shit. 
he spun, man. And I'm like, and I'm like, dude, you're high. He's like, yep. And I'm like, got any more? And he's like, yep. He's like, I don't have it with me. It's back at my apartment. I'm like, well, let's go. And he's like, all right. And so we are starting, we get the equipment and I'm rolling up the last air hose and, and I'm putting it in the vehicle and I'm like thinking, man, I'm thinking to go get high. <laughs> I'm about to go get high. And that voice that was in my head that said, you need help. Just this little voice said, yeah, then what? I'm like, damn, what? I'm like, then I'm going to be high. How about that? It's like, okay, then what? And my brain starts asking me this question. Then what? And so I start playing it out. And this is happening silently in my head as I'm driving to this guy's house to get high. And it's like, okay, I lived at the rehab in an assisted living house full of other addicts. So it's like, okay, I'm going to get high. Then what? I'm going to go back to the rehab high and walk through the gauntlet of other addicts and act like I'm not high and get in my room. And then what? I'm going to, well, the Venetian blinds don't have a chance tonight. Uh, and it's like, no, I'm not going back to the rehab tonight. Okay, then what? Well, then I guess I'll just stay over here at my buddy's house. Yeah, then what? Well, I'm going to be thrown out of the rehab. I'm going to be, well, I'll just live here with him. Yeah, really, then what? And every then what, everything led back to me being homeless, broke, paranoid, suicidal with a needle hanging out my arm. And I saw it. I saw it as clear as day right then. It was like every road leads back to that, to that place right now. And it ain't going to be slow. It's not going to be slow. It's going to be next week, you know? And so when I got to his house, I was like, dude, save me one for in the morning because <laughs> it's just for today, right? <laughs> and so I told him, save me one for in the morning. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah. And I mean, and it's like, and I drove away and that was a tough drive away because as I'm driving away, he even turns around and does the, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, mm. And I take off and I go to my sponsor's house, my mean ass sponsor. And I go to his house. I'm like, dude, man, I about got high. And he's like, tell me about it. I'm like, really? this and that. And he's like, yeah, you about got high. It's <laughs> like, you better go talk about that at a meeting. And then it's so like, all right. And I go to this meeting and to, with all these assholes. And, and as soon as they open for share, I'm like, I'm Dan, I'm an addict. I about got high today. And I said it. Man, and I got hit with just this love. And man, I don't like everybody in the meetings. I don't get, you know, there are personalities that we don't get along sometimes, you know. But how many times have I seen people that outwardly hate each other, like have each other's back when it comes down to, to staying clean, to like somebody needs a hand out of the gutter you know and i got hit by everybody in the room just showed me so much love and support right there and man it was like these people where else do i go that people give a shit about whether or not i live or die you know and that night when i said thank you for keeping me clean was the first time i thought that i might be talking to something other than just throwing some shit up into the cosmos. Now, I still don't know what that is, you know, but, but I'm working on that. What the way that I work my program now, I was able to stay clean. I wound up getting another job. I took a $2 an hour pay cut, getting a job uh, with a painting company with my sponsor, that I hated more and, and <laughs> I hated the work more, but I love staying clean better, you know, because <laughs> that's what I needed to do.
my buddy who got high wound up wound up having a heart attack from uh like from heart you know had stents in his heart and went to prison for i think they sentenced him to 25 years was the last time i saw him you know saw him on court tv getting 25 years and i'm like you know but by the grace of god you know whatever that is so the way that it works in my life today i work these steps and i learn spiritual principles to use instead of the stuff that i want to do i had to get you know like i said i had a real problem with god with the big g word when i got to to the room so and the the steps were full of god and so everywhere that it said god i just said love that was what i could imagine as my higher power was love and that's worked for me and now i have some you know i i try to be open-minded and i have changed some views but the way that I work my program now, those steps help me learn spiritual principles to use. My sponsor, my current sponsor, talks about being, we, we talk about being principled men, living as principled men. And that means that, you know, I try to have integrity even when no one's looking. You know, I try to... I try to work, I try to use spiritual principles. And so the way that I look at it is in all my life, my in my childhood, I thought about God and spirituality as being magic, you know, and that there's this big being that, you know, like I go to the altar, I bow down to it, and it strikes me with a lightning bolt of change and gives me this power and it's like shazam or something and you know and and i you know and i get this magic from this you know and that's kind of what i was thinking about when i would hear about god's will but what i've what i've come to believe is that god's will lives in the thousands of little decisions i make all day long and and it's down to me and it's about utilizing these spiritual principles or utilizing my self-centered so every decision comes down to am i going to make this decision based in love or am i going to make this decision based in self-centeredness and i fail at that daily i fail at that daily but i do better i do better all along and that used to drive me nuts because i'm an addict i want to if i decide i want to get clean i want to go break down the narcotics anonymous basic text and shoot it up and have the the benefits of 20 years clean tomorrow you know and and that's not how it works you know i have to it's like a slow fade up you know that i don't even notice things are getting better until six months later when I'm faced with the same thing and I react differently. I'm able to handle it better. I do it in a more loving manner or something. And and man, it's like, and so now I can spend the rest of my life getting better because I'm never gonna be perfect at this. And this program that I work has an out because it knows I'm going to fuck up. So I get to make amends when I do. I get to, man, one of the best things I've learned to do is to say I'm wrong. I used to be in the middle of argument and in the middle of the argument, realize that I'm wrong, but I'm too committed, you know? So I'm going to like, I'll die on that hill, you know, (laughs) knowing I'm wrong. Man, now I can be wrong. I'm you know what, I'm wrong. And you'd be surprised how quickly that brings a screeching halt to an argument when I uh, do that. Anyway, it's been a it's been a real a really wild year, man. My wife was diagnosed with cancer a year ago, and she's she is in recovery, but she has had chemo, radiation, major surgery. We think that she's cancer-free now. Every All indicators are that she's cancer-free now. 
but it's ravaged her. And, and it has been, you know, I was really good about if things got hard in a relationship, I would bail, you know, and it's been, it's been an exercise in humility and practicing spiritual principles to be there for somebody else, but the rewards of that and the, you know, I get to have relationships that are beyond anything that I could ever imagine. I've got a son that, you know, that I adopted him. I've been his dad since he was a baby. And, you know, he's never seen me high. You know, I'm trying to have a relationship with my other son, with my first son. He's got his own problems. Uh, and a lot of that comes down to me. And I've tried to make amends and I continue to try to make amends. I have regrets for for some things. But the thing is, I can't live in that. I can only live in what can I do now? You know, and and so, you know, life throws these curveballs and life is life and life's on life's terms. And so I fail miserably sometimes at working these spiritual principles. But. It's not game over ever, you know, as long as I'm breathing, I can I can make amends and I can go back and 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 make the right decision anyway, man, I'm, I'm so grateful for the life that I have now, beyond anything I could have imagined. I don't get to go to as many shows as I like to. You know, I'm kind of show poor here in Arkansas. I've got Memphis about an hour and a half away and, you know, <laughs> stuff. So, but, but it's, but I get to go to all these ball games with my kid for my kids. And I get to, you know, do these things with my family and man, I wouldn't trade this life. You know, I wouldn't trade this life in recovery. So thank you all. It's such an honor to, to be asked to do this. I'm sorry I went long a little bit, but man, I appreciate you all giving me the opportunity to share. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dan. That was amazing. Thank you. Dan. Thank you. Thank you. Really, I, I, I don't even thank know where you. to start with that. You know, right from the beginning, I re related to so many things, you know, even when you when you were talking about the sharing aspect of things, you know, I always say to myself, hey, look, it's your story. You know, all the words, you know, whatever comes out, it's what comes out. And it's as long as it's not bullshit, it's good, you know, and that was something I used to do a lot was there was always a lot of bullshit that came out. And, you know, in recovery, I've tried to minimize that as best as I possibly can. But, you know, aside from that, you know, I, I was raised in a good family. My my dad stopped drinking when he was 38. I stopped drinking when I was 38. You know, this is, we had actually had a conversation with someone earlier today about the number 38, and it, it seems to represent something pretty powerful in, in people's lives. And a lot of changes are made right around that time. You know, maybe it takes you 20 years or so to get, to get rid of all that nonsense or get over the stuff that you go through and, and decide that it's time to make a change. But, you know, um, again, I just want to thank you for being here, man. It was really, really awesome. And the floor is open to anyone who'd like to share. Hey guys, I'm Lauren. I'm an alcoholic and a fell. Wow. You have a very powerful story, Dan. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I'm going to be completely transparent and say that I didn't want to come to this meeting tonight. And I almost didn't. I was a little bit late, but you know, it's those meetings that you don't want to go to that you end up going to that are the ones that like rock your world. So, so thank you. It's just really, it's like the end of your story is like very heartwarming, you know, how you adopted your son and, you know, got remarried and you have like this amazing, wonderful life, like going from where you were you know, doing that complete 360 or 180 or whatever it is. It's just, it's very heartwarming and it's very telling of what working a program can do for someone. And, and I'm, I'm just really grateful that you, that you shared with us and I can relate to, you know, not being able to, like, I kind of live off in a, you know, a, part of the country where we don't get a, a ton of music either, but I've honestly 
really come to believe that it's a blessing <laughs> because it allows me to to focus on the things that are important, you know, like like family and health and work and even like financial health. Because if I lived, I have lived in places where I could see music all the time and it was almost, it was almost like a drug, you know, I just kept wanting more and more and, and now it's like, I can't really have it at all. And so, except for, you know, every, I'd say four months or so we get like someone coming through, but yeah, but I, I do, I, I enjoy it now. So I'm not like having to go see a show every weekend, you know, like I was in, when I was living in Denver for a very short time. But but yeah, I think that's all that I got. Thank you again for being here and for sharing your story with us. And uh, hope to meet you one day. Hi, my name is Mitch. I'm a addict alcoholic. Hey, everybody. Thanks, Matthew, for hosting and, and Dan for your share. It was, it was really great. I am, I'm in Philly. I'm not from Philly, but I actually am in Philly, city limits, grad hospital. I can pronounce Schuylkill, but I am from the Midwest originally heading back there in November for work. But man, a lot of, it was really, yeah, excellent story. You know, our stories are different, but our, our stories are the same, right? Things that really stood out to me, like it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to ask for help, you know? That was like a huge turning point in your story and my story when I was willing to to ask for help. I was a shy kid, didn't fit in. Drugs and alcohol really helped me fit in, especially like in college. And it was good until it wasn't. And then I was kind of forced to ask for help and things got better. Um, and your story of, of playing out the tape, really powerful. And how you went to that meeting and you shared and... And it's a we program, you know, and like you said, what comes from the heart touches the heart and, and we help each other. And I, um, I just, you know, I saw this meeting on the, on the, on the fellowship Facebook page and I have a buddy from, from school who's like trying to get sober and it's not really finding what's working for him and thought this might be a way I invited him to this meeting and he didn't make it, you know, but I'm here and, you know, hopefully he'll get it, you know, the grace of God. You know, another good friend from growing up who fish fan recently overdosed and didn't get it, you know, didn't for whatever reason, didn't get the grace of God. But we're all here, you know, we're, I think we're all miracles in this meeting and you're a miracle. And I'm really appreciative to, to be here and, and be sharing this meeting with you guys. Thank you. Hey, I'm Keith. I'm an alcoholic in the fell. And uh, I just want to say thanks. And that was that was phenomenal, and I, I'm really glad I jumped on. I've been making an effort lately to get to more meetings in person and, and on the computer, too, after a little bit of a downturn. And uh, So, you know, yeah, like Lauren said, I, I had other stuff going on and excuses to make, and I was just like, you know, let me get on this meeting because I could really use it, and I'm super glad I did. I There was a lot in there, but for me, you know, I'm still relatively near i've got like i don't know 15 16 months something like that and uh, yeah one 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 to snort the whole book at once and have a 20 years of recovery today <laughs> yeah, like, not how it works it's like you know, look around the room you're like holy shit look at all these guys that have businesses now they were pieces of shit when do i get my business where's that can i have it now and uh, <laughs> so, but yeah i will i think keep chipping away and keep coming back and and uh, i really greatly appreciate you uh, putting yourself out there today. it's phenomenal hey i'm andrea i'm an, an alcoholic and an addict and a fell man i really really needed to hear your story i related to so much of it especially the childhood you know adhd thing you know, being constantly told, you know, like watching the watching the other kids like go out to recess and play and I would like have to stay in and like watch them out the window and still have the work in front of me that I couldn't finish from during school and like just constantly being told how lazy I am and and everything like that. And you know, you find like wonder drugs and feel like it's it's gonna turn everything around and, you know, it works till it doesn't work anymore. And the awkwardness and the drugs and alcohol making it 
making people finally make you feel cool in your life. I just really, really appreciate, you know, the way you told your story. And I also got sober at 38 years old. And there is something special about that number. I hear it so, so, so often. What you said over and over about, you know, living a spiritual lifestyle. That's the biggest takeaway that I get from the programs and, you know, and from your share tonight, because, you know, if we're not doing that, then why are we here? And, you know, I just really appreciate the reminder. So thanks again for being here and thanks for letting me share. All right. Well, Dan, again, I really appreciate being here. I think I speak for everybody in saying that that was just one hell of a story and I'm, just so happy you were able to share it with us tonight. And you're coming out of your sharing retirement and you nailed it, man. That was awesome. Anyway, we, again, thanks for being here at the Friday night, much obliged speaker meeting. Um, and we have a tradition of holding hands with the people in the boxes next to us. And uh, Dan, if you could take us out, however you see fit. Right. Well, after a moment of silence for those who are who can't be here for one reason or another, they get taken out by this. The families that are involved that are affected. Let's close with the what the dude version of the Serenity Prayer. Dude. 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 Right on, right on. Thanks, Thank you all. All right. Thank you so very much. And thanks, everybody, for being here. Thanks, Matt. All right. Love you guys. Good night. Thank you very much. Thank you. Love you.